Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, that God in these last days reveals with an unusual intensity and 
further, greater, deeper. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. An unusual call, and if a person even thinks about whether he is able to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, and is this command possible here on earth in this body that is decaying, that is falling apart with our character to suddenly become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But we perfectly understand that everything God has said He can do upon the condition that a person agrees with this, receives this for himself as a fundamental thing, begins to meditate about it, study it, and submerge into it, God will bring this person into this position or this level of perfection. This is truly a promise contained in the commandment. It is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. And so where people place themselves or are voted for uh, are people who do not have any part, of course, then in take, they will not be able to take, take part in this commandment ever. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue and in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. Romans 4.13 For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God which is presented in the preached word of God sent together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God to us. The faith of God is the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God by his sent ones. Isaiah says, faith is from hearing, but not all have listened. And so our faith is uh, obedience to the preached word spoken by God's delegated ones. Faith is from hearing. Faith is information 
and not feelings. Faith is a powerful information that is able to lead the feelings or our emotional self. It is called to heal our emotions and restore them and to lead them. As soon as a person attempts upon uh, relying upon his, his or her feelings to uh, build a relationship with God, then their emotions will become wounded and will begin to become ill because a person being uh, will never be able to be in accordance to God and acceptable to God emotionally. Uh, he gets then upset at God and because this person considers only his own mind and what he himself understands he doesn't uh, accept any authority of God and when he hears about God's authority and that his head is supposed to be as a servant and not a master the head begins to rebel and the feelings are wounded they're wounded by a simple look of a man this person didn't look at me the way I wanted them to they passed me by without saying hello the emotions are wounded by even a simple word that sometimes can be good and kind but a person for some reason uh, receives it as something bad or negative the emotions become wounded they become sick and this wounded emotion when a person comes to God and he's upset and bitter at someone or something God can't hear him he doesn't feel himself perfect and when he looks at these words be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect he's trying to then do something saying that I want to forgive but I'm not being able to forgive in- internally he wants to forgive but his emotions are uh, are not le- are as if not letting him forgive. Yes, a person asked for forgiveness, but still, uh, the sediment is there, and he doesn't feel like he forg- forgave. We're called not to forgive by be- uh, based on emotion, but the decision that we make using your will and your decision. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated ones. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated people. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. Colossians 3.14.15 But above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. We've noted that according to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. Selective means holy. In the given sermon, we call it selective and not holy for the very reason that so that people that have this tolerant mentality 
would be able to understand something because when they hear holy love, then they think that holy love is tolerant. But holy is separating the one from the other, loving the one and hating the other. That's why it's holy. And so it's selective. It chooses, it selects. It selects the one that it loves and uh, selects the ones that it's supposed to hate. And so the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children, not with the whole world, but exclusively with His children. He will come and save His own from their sins. That is what the angel Gabriel said to Joseph, uh, husband of Mary, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, what is conceived of hers of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, which is God is with us, Emmanuel. And he will save his own people from their sins. And so Apostle Paul in Ephesians writes, Jesus has committed himself for his church, not for the world, but for his church, washing her with pure waters of the word so that his church would be holy and without blemish before him in love. And this is love agape. In scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture by the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the form of seven unchanging elements. And this is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, written in Second Peter 1, 2 through 8, that have nothing to do with the definitions that are here in the dictionaries of the world. Yes, a dictionary will explain what self-control is, godliness, brotherly kindness, but it will not show you what God intended. And so every one of these virtues of the fruits of virtue, these fruits of virtue are in one another and they contain the characteristics of all of the other qualities which is why they flow one from the other complete one the other strengthen one the other and confirm the truthful nature of one the other these qualities these seven characteristics are called to be the moral perfection within our heart as an example inherent to the essence of God third the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich in these last days. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, these seven unchanging characteristics, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, which is only possible upon the condition that we grow into full measure of growth in Christ because an infant in Christ cannot receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of his life. He's able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is receiving the gift of speaking in tongues but can't receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master because every infant is attracted by every wind of doctrine and as he has no direction, he will listen to everyone in general and not just the one he's supposed to. But the scriptures say we need to listen to the one person, only the authority of one, the words of one person need to be the authority. 
And of course, infants never agree to such things. They have their own personal authority. They have the authority of uh, of parents or uh, and others. And God has nothing against this authority. But we're talking about the spiritual authority, the one that carries responsibility for the body of Christ. Six, the means that we are to use or utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, because these precious promises, these unearthly promises, we need to grow within ourselves, and this needs to be the fruits of our spirit, and we become a part of God's divine nature, which is why the confessions of the faith of our heart become equal in power to the words that come out of the mouth of God. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love which is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the power of the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. <clears throat> the bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge, and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. And so the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 This is taken from the 45th Psalm of David. And also, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7 Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction toward the righteous who perform good and the unrighteous who perform lawlessness.
The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the form of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father so that we can shine the light of our Son upon the just and the unjust and pour out our reigns according to the God's intentions upon the righteous for good and the unrighteous to punish them. Considering therefore that these seven qualities of virtue, identifying the selective love of God, do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, not in any dictionary of the world. The love of God is the foundation and the atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 the words where it says for whom he foreknew that it doesn't depend on God but depends on man God foreknew that upon a specific uh, level or a specific time when we become familiar with the truth and hear it we will not reject it we will throw out all of the rest of our ideas or opinions and will subject ourselves to the truth, submit ourselves to it. And these people that he foreknew that this is how they will behave, react towards his truth, he predestined that they be conformed to the image of his son. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 And as we see, God will do all, do all this and does all these things by the people who are in his likeness that have been grown into full measure of growth in Christ that have become perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect <clears throat> because he by them can show the world as well as hell and angels in heaven as well only by us can he show the heavens or the angels in heaven what he has done in the work of his redemption and what redemption is that it may be made known by the church to the principalities the many works of God. Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man in his words, his actions, his thoughts, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite gender. In other words, we need to dress properly or appropriately. All include, uh, this starts from little children 
to those of age, generally to break these rights are people that are older and they try to look younger they began to dress in an un inappropriate way these are people that are as apostle paul called to carnal people that are of age they need to be dressed again properly further we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God and his favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God for example the godliness of a man to God is his favor to God a man's grace for God and his thanksgiving to the godliness of a man is to visit the fatherless and the widow in their hardship and keep yourself from being defiled by the world the godliness of a man is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills the godliness of a man is seeking God in his good acceptable and perfect will the godliness of God is a responsive reaction to the thanksgiving or goodness of a man again it's a response to a man's favor the godliness of God is his goodness toward man his favor and his grace toward man which is again a response to the favor and grace of a man to God his mercifulness to man his thanksgiving his good work and his good acts one of the words uh, grace is also thanksgiving his good works has good acts his kindness in the absolute sense of the word the old as well as the new testament identified the virtue of the love of god and the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of god himself which defends and makes the sincere love of god impossible for counterfeit and falsification aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness there's also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well that will conflict with and resist the true form of godliness having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away second timothy 3 5 practically satan uh, falsifies most things he can't of course uh, falsify the inner essence he can falsify the outer uh, image or of things he makes it so similar that many Christian people will receive the seal of the beast or the mark of the beast because they will see it as the mark of God if they will not understand how to test the mark of God the test it according to the inner consistency of it it's very rare that we see very rarely, rarely again even when I was a child and even a, a young man I rarely found people or leaders of churches that had true godliness even then to my tragedy and and sadness did I see these leaders that did not have the true godliness of God and when I found a pastor who truly had this I valued the word of these people greatly these were rare pastors and you could count them pretty much on one hand 
imagine for yourself, and this is what I was able to see then. And people are surprised. Why such trials, such terrible things in some countries? Are there not even 50 righteous men there? When we're saying 50, we don't mean literally 50 people that have received justification. We're talking about leaders, people who are leaders of churches, those righteous is what the scripture is referring to, for the sake of which and in the name of which he can either stop these trials and these terrible things happening. If I find 45, 35 of these kind of righteous men, then I will stop this destruction. A city that was to be, to be destroyed by fire, where there was absolute tolerance that today is very, very uh, vividly being uh, considered um, not just in Europe but here in this country as well we know that in this country for the most part is not it's not democratic it's not people uh, that are lawless or fallen men they don't uh, even have a him or her anymore they have an it and may this it be uh, cursed may the wrath of God be upon it that is breaking the familial ties families experience an unusual attack today especially in Europe because there there's no category other category here there are a mass amount of people there's a Republican Party maybe not fully but at least one that understands that homosexuals and lesbians is not normal. It, this is a infection that is destroying men that's going to be condemned and destroyed. And so those pastors that are playing with these things, they themselves will end up in hell and the people that follow these people will end up there as well. If we will not break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will cor corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness of both God and man in Scripture? Second, what purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And by what res uh, results or signs do we determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at the first three questions and have been studying the fourth question. By what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? We stopped to study the sign is our ability to be the cloud of God filled with his moisture and scatter his light that is turned by his guidance for punishment and for good or mercy. 
Job 37:11 through 16. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Causing his clouds to go for correction or for the land or for mercy, according to his will, means to be a carrier of the favor and punishment of the one that is perfect in knowledge. This is one of the fundamental elements by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we are collaborating our favor or our goodness with the favor or goodness of God. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Romans 11:22. You see how God's love works, it's not tolerant. He says that if you will not abide in God's goodness, then you will be cut off. If you see the severity of God, God's holiness. Demonstrating God's goodness to one and his severity toward the other, we become carriers of his justice within his holiness. The phrase, do you know, when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine, indicates the fact that not all clouds are able to be clouds that God dispatches and cause the light of it to shine, but only those clouds which provide God a basis so that they can contain his moisture in themselves. This is confirmed by another place of scripture. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. Again, his, when it says, it's not saying other clouds, but his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. Job 26, 8, 9. Of course, it's not talking about physical clouds, because these physical clouds, there's no throne of God there. If you fl fly in a plane, then you see how the clouds look, but the throne of God is on the heights of the heavens in the unapproachable light. You may say, then where are the clouds? The clouds are there also in the unapproachable light. It's talking about such clouds where God lives. And to differentiate the clouds of the Most High in the form of the saints that fear God from profane to his nature clouds in the form of pseudo-saints not having in themselves the fear of the Lord, it is necessary for us to know that our ability to provide God the basis to fill us with his moisture and our readiness to scatter his light and direct them according to his instructions is our function. By fulfilling this function, we demonstrate our favor to God. The function to fill us with moisture so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit is God's favor, which is his response to our, to him favor.
and to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly in accordance to the requirements of a cloud of God capable of collaborating our godliness with his godliness in order to provide him legitimate grounds to fill us with the moisture of the Holy Spirit in order to be led by the Holy Spirit and be ready to be directed according to his will we needed to answer a series of questions first how do we identify according to scripture the requirement necessary for us to be in accordance to the demands of the clouds of the Most High, filled with His moisture and capable of scattering His light. Second, what purpose do we fulfill in the form of the clouds of the Heavenly Father that are filled with His moisture and scatter His light? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill so that God establish us in the form of His clouds so that we are able to be filled with the moisture and scatter His light? And fourth, by what sign do we determine that we are truly the clouds of the Most High, capable of being filled with the moisture and scatter His light and be moved by the wind of the Holy Spirit according to God's desire for punishment or favor or mercy. Answering the given question, we've noted that the essence of the given allegory contains the eternal goals of God demonstrated in His intentions, which, are, which is our purpose and our calling, and it consists of first to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect it is necessary to scatter your light from your cloud upon the righteous and unrighteous and pour out the receive from God moisture in the form of rain upon the just and on the unjust second we are called to pour out the moisture we have from the Heavenly Father in the form of rain and scatter his light according to his will and not according to our whims or conclusions. In the New Testament, the meaning consisting in the purpose of being a cloud of God is locanically presented in the following words. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8.14. Here we're talking about clouds of heaven, uh, clouds that are being led by the wind of the Holy Spirit that go according to His will. Here it's talking about being led again by the Holy Spirit, not being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul in Corinthians, in the book of Corinthians, he talks about how they not having any insufficiency in gifts, but they, he said you are still people uh, that are carnal or... Yes, they received the ability to speak in tongues from the Holy Spirit, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit as their master and were not able to because to receive him as the Lord and master, you need to be grown into full measure of growth in Christ. And the Lord will never knock upon the heart of the infant. He knocks upon the heart of the one that has grown into full measure. And when evangelists preach that I stand at the door and knock, he knocks into your heart, then they make a mistake because the Lord as the master, he knocks upon the heart of those people who have grown, the one that can say of herself that she has, she is now perfect. If we will not be in accordance to the clouds of God, capable of being filled with His moisture and scatter His light for punishment or for mercy, then our sonhood is truly under serious question. In a, in a specific format, we've looked at seven signs consisting in the first question. In short formulations, I will remind us of their characteristics, and afterwards, we will turn to study the second question. When <coughs> it talks about clouds lack 
lacking moisture that are carried about by all kinds of deceptive heresies, profane to God, we have been studying that category of people in the Church of Saints that do not have the Spirit of the Lord and resist the Spirit of the Lord. Because due to their carnal way demonstrate demonstrated in their ignorance they stumble and are attracted by all winds of doctrine by the trickery of men and sneaky crafty deception and when looking at the cloud of the most high as the category as the category of saints that are led by the holy spirit by the means of their new person created in accordance to god in christ jesus in righteousness and holy truth and this means that the cloud of the most high can only be those saints that have grown into full measure of growth in christ and are in accordance to the demand of the perfection inherent to God. Further, we've noted that the clouds of saints being, God, being God's possession is a symbol of, great, of His great mystery and is called to fulfill a vital role in the work of our adopting and redeeming of our body from the law of sin and death. The cloud of the Most High in Scripture is a symbol of the glory of God, the place where God abides, the clothes into which God dresses, and the midst from which the Lord speaks. Second, the cloud of the Most High in Scripture is the garment and veils of the sea when it was drawn out as from a womb. Third, the cloud of the Most High in Scripture is the glory of the Lord that comes from the north in the form of raging fire. Fourth, the cloud of the Most High in the form of His glory is presented in Scripture as the category of saints in whose body the Lord has been enthroned, which is why they became a joy for all good lands and gladness for the many in, num many in number islands. Fifth, the clouds of the Most High in the form of the glory of the Lord that, present that is presented in Scripture is the category of saints who, by the law, died for the law, which is why their bodies became an image of the tabernacle of testimony in which Moses, as a servant of the Old Testament, was not able to enter when the cloud of glory filled the tabernacle, because the glory that was in the tabernacle was greater than the glory that was on the face of Moses. And although the tabernacle was not perfect, the presence of God that was there was perfect. And so Moses with the glory of the law in his face was not able to enter because his face contained the glory of the service of condemnation but there present was the glory the service of the glory of the service of redemption six the clouds of the most high in the form of the glory of the lord and that is presented in scripture as a cloud of fragrance in which God revealed himself to Aaron and that protected him from death, since he being a servant of the Old Testament was not in accordance to the demands of the fragrant cloud of the glory of the Lord. Seventh, the clouds of the Most High in the form of the glory of the Lord presented in Scripture as the chariot of the Most High upon which he moves upon the winds of the wind in order to erect the stronghold of, of righteousness within the body of the saints and afterwards establish the millennial kingdom of Christ here on earth. Second question, what purpose do we fulfill in the form of the clouds of the Heavenly Father filled with his moisture and scattering his light? In the previous services studying the given question, we already looked at, the, at two components. I will remind us of their essence and we will continue our study of the next component.
First, in the virtue of the cloud of the Heavenly Father filled with His moisture and scattering His light, we are called to be the atmosphere of the glory of the Lord in the temple in which He abides. Second, in the virtue of the cloud of the Heavenly Father filled with His moisture and scattering His light, we are called to be a fragrant cloud in all places on Mount Zion. Third, in the virtue of the cloud of the Heavenly Father filled with His moisture and scattering His light, we are called to punish all who dare to speak against the person representing the fatherhood of God because of his marital union with the Ethiopian woman. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. If anyone knows Ethiopian people, they are very, very uh, dark-skinned people, and they're very, very dark-skinned, and I'm sure some have maybe seen this uh, amazing color. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. They all three came there, and then God was before them and said, Come near to me, you too, Aaron and Miriam. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was. Was le a leper. Generally in this incident, the focus is on Moses, whom Aaron and Miriam spoke against, but the reason for their complaining was the wife of Moses, the Ethiopian woman who remains in a shadow. And the most mysterious is that in this incident, the Holy Spirit does not mention the name of the wife of Moses, focusing rather on the dark color of her skin, called calling her in general as the Ethiopian woman. From this we see that God defended Moses for the sake of his wife, the Ethiopian woman, who made Aaron and Miriam rebel and made them unhappy. First of all, the symbol of the marital union with the Ethiopian woman is a symbol of the marital union of the new person with our soul, which we previously lost in the death of the Lord Jesus and then obtained again in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in a new form. Secondly, the form of the marital union with the Ethiopian woman is a symbol of the marital union of Christ with the Gentile nations that, unlike the Israelite nation, are presented in the status and virtue of the Ethiopian woman. I am dark but lovely, O daughter of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. 
That's why I had became tanned. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. So Songs of Solomon 1.5.6 if I needed to preach about this place of scripture not talking about the cloud of the Most High I would call this as a burn holiness the tents of Kedar these are called by the name of the son of Ishmael and so the beauty of the most beautiful of women in the form of these tents of Kedar are the symbol of our liberty from sin and when we become, became free from sin living for God having, set, having been set free from sin and having become a slave of God you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life Romans 6.22 the curtains of Solomon that separated the holy place from the holy of holies is a symbol of the broken body of Christ where we enter in because of the Heavenly Father. And so the beauty of the most beautiful of women in the form of this Ethiopian woman is what gives us the ability to enter before the face of the Heavenly Father by the means of the blood of Jesus Christ by a new and living way that has been revealed to us because of the curtain. The curtain of Solomon is a, a symbol of the body of Christ therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil through his body pretty much that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful Hebrews 10 19 through 23 the beauty of the black color of the most beautiful of women is like these tents of Cater and the veil of Solomon this is a symbol of holiness that we see in this most beautiful of women in the form of the Ethiopian woman the death of Christ that brings peace to the heart of God and we will not forget that being the before the sun the skin of this woman was not as dark and she was not as this most beautiful of women and could not be called Ethiopian here's one of these places symbolic uh, places that we'll read Zechariah 6 1 through 8 then I turned and raised my eyes and looked and behold four chariots were coming from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze with the first chariot were red horses with the second chariot black horses with the third chariot white horses and with the fourth chariot dappled horses strong steeds then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me what are these my Lord and the angel answered and said to me these are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of the earth the one with the black horses is going to the north country the white are going after them and the dappled are going toward the south country then the strong steeds went out eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth and he said go walk to and fro throughout the earth so they walked to and he called me and spoke to me saying see those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country these black steeds went to the north these black steeds brought uh, peace or rest to 
the Spirit of the Lord. And now imagine this mysterious and uncomprehending for the human mind amazing event that took place, these four chariots that have different uh, horse that were led by uh, uh, different colored horses uh, in the body of a person. As we see in the Ethiopian woman whom Moses, uh, for the sake of whom God defended Moses. The four chariots that came out from these uh, from the two from between the two cliffs are four spirits of heaven that are before the Lord of all the earth the four spirits of heaven are in the symbol of these four uh, chariots is again this these four uh, chariots are the symbol of the truth of the doctrine of Christ that is anointed by the Holy Spirit these four teachings the four teachings of Christ <coughs> that contain the three within each one these of course are all symbolic and so <coughs> these Ethiopians that were the Ethiopian, Ethiopian woman that we're looking at and the uh, black horses that were going towards the north the north as it pertains to the meaning of the fourth realm identifying eternity this is the place of the throne of the most high covered by the cloud of the most high symbolizing the body of the Ethiopian woman in the form of the saints in whose body the stronghold of death is destroyed and the stronghold of eternal life is built not the south not the west not the east is the place of the throne of the most high but the north for you have said in your heart as it speaks to the fallen cherubim I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north he knew where the throne of God was I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit Isaiah 14, 13 through 15, he wanted to take the place of the throne of God because God's throne, again, will be in the body of God's saints that will be in accordance to his clouds. In scripture, the symbol of bronze as these four uh, chariots were coming from between two bronze cliffs. These four teachings, uh, the elementary principles of Christ, are presented in these four chariots that had different colored horses, and they came between the from out of uh, the bronze cliffs. This is the ability of a person to judge himself and cleanse himself in accordance to the demands of the statutes and truths of God. The bronze sea is the place where a warrior in prayer, in the form of the the Ethiopian woman washed himself by the, from being in contact with the world, washed himself with the water by the word of truth. The bronze altar is the place where a warrior in prayer, by the means of the fire of the bronze altar in the form of the Ethiopian woman, cleansed his body from all foreign elements of the soul. In this way, the, the way between the two uh, bronze rocks is within the body of a holy person he is a, 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 we can see in the body the organic membership of this person and as a demonstration 
that this person died for the house of his father, for his nation, and for his corrupt life. And so the way, again, between these two bronze cliffs, from where these four chariots come that have different colored horses, is a symbol of the sovereignty of a person where he judges himself within the boundaries of the principles of Christ, cleansing himself from all foreign uh, chaff or elements of the flesh black horses that bring peace to the spirit of God from the land of the north are horses that represent the body of the Ethiopian woman that is burned by the holiness of the most high and so to be burned by the sun is die for the law by the law so that you can live for the one who died and resurrected the reason for why the sun burned the skin or tanned the skin of the most beautiful of women making her in Ethiopian woman was the anger of the brothers of the Ethiopian woman we see in the sayings of her words when she speaks about the uh, the most beautiful of women speaks in the book of songs of Solomon the sons of the mother of the Ethiopian woman were not the sons of her father in other words if they're the sons of my mother but they are not the sons of the father they had different fathers and so the Ethiopian woman and her brothers they had different fathers but had the same mother the first husband of the Ethiopian woman from whom she bore the sons of, uh, of, of the sons or the brothers of the Ethiopian woman their, their husband died and so she remarried and then had this Ethiopian woman we need to ask the question who in our body is the father of the most beautiful of women in the form of this Ethiopian woman and who is the father of the brothers of the Ethiopian woman in our body and who in our body are the brothers of the Ethiopian woman and for what reason did the brothers of the most beautiful of women became angry at their sister what do we need to uh, see as or consider as these vineyards that she needed to watch over and also what are the vineyards her vineyards as well as the vineyards of her brother and as you know she had to keep watch over their vineyards which is why she was burned by the sun answering these questions will have the ability to be the clouds of the most high so that we can punish all that dare to speak against the person who represents the fatherhood of God because he has a marital union with the Ethiopian woman in his body as well as out of his body first the, most, the symbol of the most beautiful of women in the form of this Ethiopian woman is our soul that we have lost in the death of the Lord Jesus and obtained it again in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being risen from the dead in Jesus Christ we be our soul became the rod of the Most High by which he then uh, performed miracles so that we could be delivered from the old person and be led into Canaan the symbol of the most beautiful woman in the form of the Ethiopian woman is the bride of the lamb in the form of the chosen uh, uh, remnant of of the most high 
who received victory in Jesus Christ. And by confessing the faith of the heart that is within her heart, she then invested the silver of her salvation, which gave her the ability to perform righteousness and that is within the boundaries of the holiness of the Most High. And so the father of the most beautiful of women in the form of the Ethiopian woman and the father of the brothers of the most beautiful of women was the mind of the soul that is anointed by God and the other is the mind of the spirit the most beautiful of women as the Ethiopian woman is the symbol of the fruit that was produced uh, from the union of the mind of Christ that is in reigning grace that demonstrates the service of justification the sons of the most of the mother of the most beautiful of women is the symbol of the fruit that was produced from the union of the wise aspect of the soul with the law of works that demonstrate the service of condemnation and so the conflict of the service of condemnation that within our body demonstrate the sons of the mother of the most beautiful of women with the service of justification which is the Ethiopian woman was necessary the vineyards of the most beautiful of women which is the fruit of justification that she was not watching and it was destroyed because the sons of the mother forced her to watch over their vineyards the fruits of condemnation and her fruits of justification she was not able to watch over because they forced her to watch over their vineyards and so the son then burned her and she died from for the law by the law to live for the one who died and resurrected we see this also in the prophecies in the prof, uh, in the book also of the prophet Hosea who then we see here how God returns to her her vineyards therefore behold I will allure her will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope she shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came out from the land of Egypt looking at this event we can understand that what God has intended to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and erect the stronghold of life we need to become this Ethiopian woman while within our body we have the law of sin and death the old person within ourselves our mind anointed mind it's as a father it begins to demand the fulfillment of the law and is basing everything upon what you're feeling and and always judges himself not looking at himself in Jesus Christ that in Jesus Christ we are justified that in Jesus Christ we don't have sin he looks at himself out of Jesus <clears throat> and so uh, sister I ask how are things going are you holy well she says no today I'm not I had a fight with my husband then I asked her so you're sometimes holy and sometimes not and she said yes and I asked her is that possible to sometimes 
be uh, holy or not. It's impossible to sometimes be a dove and sometimes a serpent. People don't have an understanding. Why? Because they're not in Christ. They're not listening to the Lord. They're not acknowledging the fact that they need to uh, accept the justification that has been given to you. God justified you. It doesn't matter that you sinned. You need to confess your sin and begin to consider yourself dead to sin. And you don't need to feel anything. You just need to know. And you need to base things not off of what you feel, but what you know. The brothers of her mother, they were not looking at what they knew. They looked at what they felt and said, well, how is it? I feel within my body, I see myself, I'm becoming older, and because I have these negative feelings inside, that means I have sin and I need to battle with the sin. But the scriptures say that you already died for sin. You died for sin, to sin, you died for it, and sin doesn't live there anymore, the Lord lives there. Don't acknowledge that there's sin there. Consider yourself consider that you don't have it and began to thank God for his justification but before you thank God for his justification you need to confess your sin before we take part in this wonderful mystery eat of the body of Christ and drink his blood to have within ourselves life because who will not worthily take part and will not have life in themselves to worthily take part we need to acknowledge and look at ourselves as God sees us. How does he look at us in Jesus Christ? Remember how he's looking through the cloud upon Israel. Israel came out with their idols uh, out of Egypt, but God, looking through the cloud, he says, I see, and there's no insufficiency in her, no sin, no imperfection, and he's, he's in awe of her, and they uh, had idols, and they completely were not according to his holiness. But he didn't see that. Why? Because he was looking through the cloud. The cloud is the body of Christ together with Christ himself. When we are in the body of Christ and we become a part of his body, God stopped looking at our sin, that we are sinning. Uh, when we commit the sin, when we confess our sins, we see, he sees us perfect in Jesus Christ because for our sin that we had committed yesterday or today, a price was paid 2,000 years ago. We will keep that in mind when we will pray. I will call everyone who desires to resist sin, resist their emotions, not be led by them, but lead them. If anyone has fear, they're not confident, they don't feel sufficient. Understand you're sufficient in Christ. I call you here to the altar before we take part in this communion and we will pray for you and the Holy Spirit is upon this place to deliver you and cleanse you so that you can look at yourself with the eyes of your Heavenly Father. He looks at you as uh, upon his own son in Jesus Christ he doesn't see you but his son you're in him amen let us pray we wait for you
I'm going to pray your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you upon this place he is capable he can and desires to deliver you cleanse you from all sin that you may have committed he will look at you in Jesus Christ as without guilt he can heal you he can heal your illnesses however terrible they may be please close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to God this is a sign that you're ready to receive from God what he desires to give you pray together with me Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you I open up my heart you see that it's wounded it's wounded by sin I ask you cleanse me wash me heal me remove my shame I love you I love your word I love your truth I open up my heart for your truth enter in and be a king and lord of my life and right now before heaven and hell I want to proclaim that in accordance to your word I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified and I am saved your sins are forgiven in your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ may the Lord bless you May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the ancient hills and valleys be on you. May in your body the stronghold of death be destroyed and may the stronghold of life be built within you may this be on you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you and the nation shall say and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.